0: Welcome, friends, to the Soul Talk podcast, a show where we explore and uncover the path to the heart, amplifying your conscience. Join me as we meet incredible souls who are in this journey and learn from their experience and different methods that will make you vibrate your heart. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. This is Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love and today we have a very special invite that has transformed my life after a reading that he did for me many years ago. And let me tell you a little bit who he is. His name is Graham Forscott. He's in New Zealand, and he's a galactic astrolog- uh, astrologist. During the past four decades, Graham worked including developing the New Galactic Center, oriented Astrology, where he has blended the, uh, the latest discoveries from the period of fractal physics, solar mechanics, plasma cosmon- uh, cosmology, the new chakras and the twelve strands DNA, and more. Decades of four, uh, focus OB and remote experience led us to a con- uh, connection with the Galactic Federation of the Mickey Way Center. He went into the first uh, to the uh, to the plot to the major strategies linking the uh, cosmogenetic family tree to the heart of the central spiritual sun. He's going to be doing a presentation. Uh, Graham explained it in the present evidence how his new galactic astrology becomes the useful real-time approach allowing us to tune into the intelligence operating from the galactic center. The galactic, the galactic astrology is the unique approach to reading star seed Akashic records. This new form of astrology is incredibly accurate at reading in the Akashic memories of the future skills that related travelers be, uh, travelers bring into their incarnation. He provides examples of the group assigning, like the Beatles. He uh, he revealed how astrogenetic galactic as- astrology used the uh, uh, geometry that underlines the etheric DNA, elix, and the molecule necessarily to decode the oversold galactic records. And I just wanted to tell you a little bit of this uh, how I met him. It was through a, a group that many star starseeds were part of that group. And when he did a reading to me the first days, I could not understand it. It was weird. I, and many of us, we could not understand it. But that's when I received my first download. And after that download, it was so easy to read. And if you ask me again to read to someone else I can't. But it was, it was intent, it was for me. And I understood it very, very well. And it was, it changed my life. It really did in so many levels, in so many ways. And thank you, Graham, for that. I really, really appreciate that. And it's really my pleasure to have you here.
1: Oh, thanks so much. I couldn't ask for a better introduction. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Graham, um, what it, what it took you to go here? Well, beside of being in your chart, beside of obviously that you were going to be doing what you're doing, and, and, and you do it in a very different way. You're not a, a simple astrologist. It, it goes way more complicated than that, than a regular astrology reading.
1: Well, I, I did start that way, like most astronomers, astrologers, back in the um early 80s, uh, I was looking at all the different styles of astrology, sidereal astrology, and had a little look at Vedic astrology and the Mayan astrology and when that first came out, and uh, looked at the esoteric astrology by uh, Alice Bailey. And um, it was about that time that I discovered uh, how you could draw the, the planets in their positions around the sun. But uh, instead of all those other charts I just mentioned, uh, this one was from the sun's point of view, which changed everything. Uh, I'm not sure whether astrologers could even draw charts up from the sun's point of view until computers got good enough to be able to run a program as if it was looking out from the sun on a day-to-day basis, year after year after year, so they could calculate where the planets actually are in the solar system, where they actually are. So that was the first time I'd come across helioastrology, about 1984, and um, that changed everything for me. I had already been studying the different various sacred geometries and the Kabbalah tree of life and was practicing remote viewing and the out-of-body techniques that were available of the da- in that era, and color psychology and all sorts of different things. And um, like a, a whole group of people that around about the mid early to mid-1980s, there seemed to be some kind of energies going on then that connected people up to the galactic center. And uh, I, I seem to be one of those because there was a number of other books that were written Uh, for people who were talking about the 12 chakras and the the 12 rays and the 12 this and that. And that was sort of like the step out of the the framework that had been more or less the spiritual teachings and traditions since the end of Atlantis, which was basically a framework of the sevenfold, seven chakras and so on and so on. And then uh, in the early 80s, there seemed to be this big leap by a number of people, who jumped out in their consciousness and and began to entertain a a wider, uh, more broader overview of not only what we call space or outer space, but also the inner, the higher, uh, the fractal realms that lead through to more expanded viewpoints. So from then on, I've just kept track of Everything that came along that I could find that supported what I was doing. And I had an interest by being involved in the sacred geometries. I had a natural interest in uh, cosmology, cosmic structure, of course, the structure of the DNA molecule and the earth grids and and so on and so on. And uh, that led into compiling and keeping track of all the latest that was coming out by other researchers in those fields. So I tried to keep up to date with the uh, unfolding new things that were being both discovered and uh, sort of implemented in their own various ways by various people.
0: And I believe you have a presentation and I don't want to take more of uh, the time. And uh, if uh, if we have more time, I will ask the other questions but probably you will answer them there in your presentation.
1: (laughs) So do you want to start your presentation? Sure. I've got a presentation of a number of images and I I can talk, walk through some of these images as we go. Uh, I will try and keep track of uh, things that I don't know 100% and mention that I'm still, like everybody, a learner in some of these things. So, you know, it's not that I know everything about these topics, uh, especially the first few topics, but uh, I'll try and keep up to date. So I'll, I'll click my share screen, and away we go. Oh, here. Oh, it was there, but it's gone. <laughs> ah, there it is. Is that visible? Not yet. Not yet. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I'll try again. Hmm. Seem to be. Oh, here we are. Here we are. How's that? Yes. Okay. Um, well, I've got a list here. I, I, I think I need to keep the sidebar open so I can scroll through these. I'm not sure whether I can get them bigger. So, I'll just leave it on this for now. I I can get them bigger if I go to full screen.
0: In the the corner left, you have the plus and the uh, yes there.
1: Ah, got it. Ah, cool. Okay, cool. Um, So, this is just like where I I begin. And this has also been an unfolding interest of mine for a number of decades. And It's not only my own work. A few other people have inputted into this. It's it's my attempt to map out what areas of uh, creative contributions people can or will make as we move forward into a more coherent, uh, some people call it the fifth dimension or or whatever that is. Uh, So I've mapped out and kept track of various ways of social dynamics. And this one here is based on a social structure. It has one, two, three, four, five, six, twelve 12 different basic areas. And within each of those, there's 12 more, making 144. These, is, these are the general, uh, almost public services, political structures we see around today. It's just a, a slightly uh, updated version. We have a, a sector here, which I guess I'm, Talking about now where we have a galactic sector, different areas of research, galactic history, the sciences of the uh, more advanced races and so on. Then we have just the normal sciences and technologies that we see in the world today and how they will evolve, justice and commerce, urban design, infrastructure, just these different things, spiritual integration, community, public services, permaculture. Environment, global coherence, uh, sports, and all these things, health and healing, and education, and so on. So it's an unfolding map of which anybody can uh, access. I've got it on my on my Facebook page. Anyone can access and 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 white out anything that doesn't look, you know, suitable, and add your own. And it's a sort of an unfolding journey that anybody could participate in if they felt the desire to do that. So this is a, this is the first image. I'll get it down a bit here. Here's an image of the Milky Way. And up until just recently, uh, most of the information that has been spoken about from people who have been talking about Starseed coming from the Pleiades or Acturus or Orion or uh, Lyra and so on and so on. So here's the Milky Way with the, the Milky Way center here, which, by the way, uh, a few, a couple of famous astrophysicists and Rudolf Steiner and the esoteric astrology people from Theosophy uh, and the astrophysicist Paula Violet, he has pretty good evidence that at the center of the galaxy there, there's a huge plasma sun, like our sun's more or less a plasma as well. And at the center of the galaxy, there's actually a sun, whereas normal astronomy would have us believe that there's a black hole there. So he has a fair amount of evidence to show that there's the likelihood of a sun there, S-R-G-A, I think it's called, and then... Uh, of course, this is a whole group of suns and stars in here. And that's why it looks so bright. But the, the size of it is huge, galactic center. Out here, within this uh, perimeter of this pentagon, here are the stars and solar systems and constellations, which we are familiar with. Orion and Pleiades and Sirius and Acturus, uh, Lyra there. It's all going on. Uh, in this small sector, this little neighbourhood of the Milky Way galaxy. So when we're when we're looking at or reading material about star seeds coming from here and there, basically the majority of it is within our neighbourhood here. Astronomers don't really have names for stars and and so on specific names for stars over here. They can hardly even see them. This is in the way. So we're all really. Uh, familiar with really what is just one neighborhood of the Milky Way which is worth uh, contemplating worth noticing so I've got a few images here now which is trying to well, which will hopefully uh, bring a fair amount of evidence to the table about why and how the, uh, the physicists claim by experiments they've done that two locations can interact in real time no matter what the distance. So we're, we've got this distance here, which is something like 25,000 light years to get that distance from the center of the solar, uh, galaxy to our solar system. Yet we have this uh, statement by physicists and their, their experiments that show that two locations can interact in real time no matter what the distance. Of course, it's hard for us to do that, because we're not coherent enough as individuals or as a social group, a planetary society. But if the more advanced societies who already in their physics would have known that a long time ago and their development and all their remote viewing, astral traveling, so on and so on, then it's quite possible that they are able to make use of that two locations can interact in real time. If they so desire to make use of that or make contact in some way, you know, we may find that that is actually what they're capable of doing. So these few uh, slides here, just to bring people up to date, some may already know this. Uh, this is basically what we're going to spend a few moments on talking about the the physics, basically cosmo uh, um, plasma cosmology is the, is the name for this. This is just an image from the famous Walter Russell. So he has this map, and I know it's impossible to see, but he's got the elements here on this spiral. It's, a, it's actually a spiral like this, and we would suggest that it's the phi spiral or the golden ratio spiral. And as he's got his map here of the spiral, He's got the elements named here as they go, getting closer and closer or smaller and smaller uh, as they go right until we get to hydrogen, which is about here. And he has a number of or a few other elements between hydrogen, which is considered to be our first element, basically a gas. He's got a number of other elements which are smaller, which haven't been discovered by normal science until we get to the uh, more finely tuned what they call the Planck scale, the smallest photon in the in the electromagnetic wave spectrum, so with these which he which Walter Russell calls gases here, well, many people now begin are beginning to realize this is what the ancients called the ether this is spanning the distance or the the uh, size ratio between hydrogen and smaller and smaller. And the ether, or what he calls a, a uh, gas, could equally be termed a plasma, like invisible plasma, uh, which in Rudolf Steiner's phraseology, you had the what he called the formative ether, which is plasma being drawn to a center through focus. And... You have the other side of the plasma, which isn't being drawn to a center. So the, uh, the magnetic plasma drawn to a center is what they call dark energy. Whereas the distributed plasma, which we look out and see at night, dark space, dark matter is, you know, the, the, uh, the opposite, the um, centrifugal aspect of plasma. Of course, it's like, um, It's not just like a huge ocean that uh, is just filling up space. Like an ocean has bubbles, like soap bubbles, the same with the plasma or the ether is basically a packing, an all-space filling of what used to be called etheric atoms, plasma atoms. Nowadays, there's, there's other words for this, uh supersymmetric plasma is is what the, the plasma cosmologist might call it, but I just want to leave link on here to uh, some research by Dan winter. Uh, I consider Dan to be the best physicist on the planet. He's been able to come up with the maths with the evidence to show that the well-known wavelength of the Planck, Size, Planck scale, the smallest wavelength of, of a photon or a light or a torus. If he, were, he what Dan did, he multiplied that wavelength by the golden ratio. And of course, the golden ratio will be explaining more about that as we go here. So I'll just use that at, at the moment and we'll kind of expand on that as we go. So he multiplies the wavelength or the frequency of the Planck scale, he multiplies it by the golden ratio. He does that 116 times, phi ratio, phi ratio, phi model, and then eventually finds that it just so happens to be the radiuses of the hydrogen atom. So he's able, he was able to link the gas or the first element to the wavelength of light photons and it's specifically based on the golden ratio uh, series, or you could say it's like an octave based on golden ratios. And as we just mentioned with Walter Russell, between hydrogen and the uh, Planck scale wavelength of light, Walter Russell has a few gases or a few plasmas there. Well, it makes perfect sense that between... The Planck scale and hydrogen, these other gases, the ether, are also based on this golden ratio. So I know that's a a lot to take in. It's just a framework to to set out with what we're going to move on to here as we get along some of these slides. This is just an image by uh, a famous uh, plasma cosmologist, I guess you'd say, J. Alfred, J. Alfred, J-A-Y. And uh, here's some good articles out there. So he's just showing what we are normally con- familiar with. We have a, the subtle bodies, our auric field here. We have the old drawing of the subtle bodies here. And we have a lab experiment creating a plasma torus shape here. And these plasmons, you know, around the Earth, uh, the plasma around the Earth, and so on. And this is what we call. Well, this is what Rudolf Steiner called the formative ether. This torus shape, everybody knows what a torus is like. It's like a donut. If we were to blow a smoke ring, that's a torus. We know that it's spinning around, it's turning in on itself. That entra- that attracts, draws to itself the more uh, the etheric atoms or the plasma bubbles, as it were, it draws them to itself. And then you create a field, which in the esoteric school they call the light body, the Merkabah, different names for it from different cultures. So we see that, and there's different colors of it, of course. And here we have the, the noble gases, one, two, you know, helium, neon, argon, kryptonon, exe, uh, exon, is it? So these ones here, these colors, which most people would see as being colors of light, and we see often artwork using... Airbrush painting techniques to paint angelic beings and so on. They're predominantly these colours. Back here with with uh, Walter Russell's work, at the big, at the each octave here at the meeting point, going through the spiral here, 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 here. These are these noble gases. So they're very finely tuned to the golden ratio. Each hoop of the golden ratio, half hoop, is based on these. Uh, where we find these uh, noble gases, which is uh, intimately connected with the colors of our ore and so on so we're just moving on we're getting to now a, a slightly different uh, shape here I'm not sure whether I can i oh yes I can bring this in here so if you can see this here this is a an online uh, Fourth dimensional geometry called a fourth dimensional dodecahedron. Again, it's all based on the golden ratio. Anyone can go onto this website, dog feathers, uh, hyperstar. In Google search, dog feathers, hyperstar brings you to this website. So showing here how, when we look at it, how over time, how these golden ratio structures can expand and diminish or like blowing up a balloon and so on. So that's just one image. There's a number of other images that it, you, you have a lot of control. You can change a lot of dynamics of that. This is just one snapshot from this image here with different colors. And here we have this, the dodecahedron in the middle here, which the ancients called the, the fifth element, the ether dodecahedrons are a good example of I'm just loosely going to say an etheric or a plasma atom that's a loose you know saying there's more detail that could be uh, addressed better there each one of these there's a dodecahedron there it's the sort of the yellow one you can see there's a small dodecahedron there 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 so it's a packing a cluster of dodecahedrons Here again, these ones which are branching out, these are also snapshots of golden ratio geometries. So in my mind, when we look at 4D or uh, hyperspatial structures like this, we're looking at dynamics of the movement of the ether, either coming to uh, compressing or expanding. So eventually this becomes useful And I've used it in my work uh, to because I've been interested in starships, space stations, and all these kinds of things, and we'll we'll get to that in a moment. So if we were to cross, if we were to put an equator through, cross-section it through the middle there, so like looking at the equator of the Earth, well, this is basically what this one is. This is the famous Penrose tilings. So physicist Roger Penrose, four decades ago, is saying the fabric of space-time is a tiling based on, the, on this geometry. For him, it's a flat surface geometry, which makes no sense to me, but there are other ways of seeing it. So he has this geometry of what he calls the fabric of space-time, which if we go back here, As I say, it's it's more or less looking at the equator of, again, I'll just use it loosely, an etheric atom or a plasma atom. So it has this shape here, which is made up of two different size golden ratio uh, diamonds. When we look at a bit, this is the the quantum gravity research group who are uh, doing some great research into the, fabric of space-time. So here we are. We got a little bit better here where we see the same Penrose tiling there on the flat surface as we've just seen. But we see it's kind of a shadow of these geometries, these 3D geometries. There's one there. There's another one there. And it's when we get into these 3D geometries here that things begin to get interesting in the sense that they're all based on the golden ratio. Some of them are directly, I would say, the, the um, bubbles of plasma. Here's the, the famous dodecahedron here, and brown or half of it. And there, inside, very similar to that earlier shape we saw, was it this one? There. So very similar to this shape here, we have, we have uh, these ones here and these ones here. And this linked us, this is where I began my research into what I would call a group Merkaba. There's a famous things out there these days, the Andromedian spheres or the Andromedian biospheres. Well, it makes perfect sense, in my mind, that you would build a, a spaceship or a space station based on the same geometry as the fabric or ether or plasma that we're trying to move through. Two locations can interact in real time. So to build our structures, especially in the, in the, in the realm of thinking about space and, and travel and so on, if we were to build structures, the same shape, golden ratios, as the very plasma linking hydrogen down through the, uh, until we get to the Planck scale, if we're using the same structures, then we've got a good chance of success, and uh, this seems to be the case with these. Uh, I got some more images here. So feel free to button. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know whether you just want me to go on and on like this, but I'm happy to. Uh, do you tell me. Do
0: uh, tell me. You you need me? I have questions uh, regarding that, Graham. Uh, one of my questions, in the order, the other slide that you you mentioned. You were talking about dimensions or, or parallel uh, realities, correct?
1: Well, I don't see it as quite like parallel realities as normally f- thought, but um, you, you could say they're parallel realities, yes. Okay. Uh, that
0: was my question.
1: May continue, please. <laughs> so here you have, again, some of these... Shapes that are made out of this these diamonds here, and these diamonds we can they're called they fill all space, but they fill all space at every size and we were looking back there earlier on about the golden ratio size. well, here we have, for example, we have this yellow brown one here, and it 's basically a sphere. And then a golden ratio, or two golden ratio sizes larger, we have this this blue one, which if we closed it up would be a sphere. So we can grab 12 of those ones there, that size, and they will pack around a central hub like this, the 13th. If we grab 12 this size, well, they'll pack around this hub at the center that can go on forever larger and forever smaller in size based on the golden ratio, which is the same as we were looking at before when we're talking about the shape, size, frequency of hydrogen and down through those other levels or inwards through those levels of those gases that um, that Walter Russell's talking about, or the ether or the plasma, you know, which is smaller than hydrogen. So this is all... Research I've been carrying out for decades, and I've just uh, compile the research of other people who are on a similar tangent to support some of my own ideas, and uh, then hopefully when I present information, there's uh, you know I like to have evidence. I like to have my rational side of my brain, my scientific side of my brain, keeping track of my own intuitions my own experiences, because I want to be able to support what I say by relevant sciences. And in my mind, the fifth dimension is when each of us can fuse, integrate certain elements of our rational thinking side of our brain, the science basically, with our intuitive, artistic, psychic side of the brain, so we can have a, a whole viewpoint. And to me, that is what each of us is doing to become a fifth dimensional person. This one here is a little bit different, but again, it's using the same uh, diamond shapes here. This is actually a sphere. So it's a bit hard to see that it is a sphere, and there's a there's a point going into the centre of the sphere here, and this is a a, a part of the sphere. I've got to oh, I can't show you. It's um, I have to get rid of this. The screen share to show. So this is a a patent for what they call a photonic crystal. Of course, a photon is a light crystal. So this patent, it's well worth a read. Uh, There's a patent number there. Photonic quasi-crystal would be the go-to if you're Google searching this. So this is great research or great they have some great uh, information in this patent. So basically, they're saying that this shape here, which we've just looked at here, and so on, this shape, from their point of view, the reason they want to get the patent is that it can draw towards itself, it can catch as it were, the most number from different angles of incoming frequencies, which is the same as information, so it can catch. The maximum number of incoming information or frequencies. Not only that, it can di- that shape that specific shape there can distribute from itself at the most maximum number of angles away from itself. So this is a nice. What, this is what they call a, a plasma photonic crystal. Well, basically that's what the sun is—a huge plasma crystal. And it makes sense that the sun can catch because it's omnidirectionally catching from the universe and it can radiate at maximum number of frequencies. So we're using the very same geometry and the same shapes and so on as a sun for what we would call a starship or the Andromedian sphere and so so forth for the very uh, reasons that are laid out in this patent. It is the best stealth material. So, if you wanted to create paint to to paint on your stealth fighter ship, as uh, some people seem to do, then you would use this in the makeup of your nano paint particles because it reflects, and it, the the ship becomes invisible. As well as that, that's why, in its own way, it's the best shape for a Merkabah or a light body or a or an invisible spaceship. It's a plasma capacitor, storage of plasma. Anyway, these are they might not be interesting to people who are just want to know about the astrology, but it's plotting out my own path to get to the astrology where I make bold statements about how this astrology works and its difference uh, with the other astrologies that are out there. So this comes from a website, uh, an earlier website I did have. I've still got it on my uh, more recent website, but not in in such great detail. So again, this is like golden ratio tetrahedrons constructing the fractal universe. We presented this as a teaching on Dan Winter's fractal university a few years back, and we've carried on to uh, bring more evidence to the table. So this one even though there's so much on there, not expecting uh, you to be able to see what is, is really going on there. But uh, the, the important point, uh, golden ratio constructing the fractal universe, which includes all the higher dimensions. That's what fractal means. The old saying, as above, so below, is now rephrased as fractality. And fractality includes all. And it's based on the golden ratio, as Dan Winter proves, by his link from hydrogen to the smallest wavelength of light as steps of the golden ratio. And you just keep going through the speed of light by golden ratio increases in speed until, like things going viral, it doesn't take long once you get through the speed of light, faster-wise. To become near infinite speed doesn't take long, and the same that things go viral once it happens it doesn't take long so this is just a, a whole heap of geometries here again something I've worked with for a number of decades, and we see the normal geometry I'll get it a bit bigger here so we have uh, we have tetrahedrons here we have. Uh, octahedron here, we have dodecahedron here. These are nesting inside each other, one inside another, just like the the uh, five elements that have been presented by different cultures, and they label each one of those elements one of the platonic solids. Well, that's fine. That's what Plato and Pythagoras were talking about in the ancient cultures, who really understood the five platonic solids and they had their stellations and there was the Archimedeans, which amounted to about 20 or so more polyhedras. So up until about a century ago, a little bit more, about 130 years ago, up until then, humanity only really knew about 100 of these polyhedral shapes. Well, during the last 130 years, they've come up with Millions more. And some of them could only be plotted using computers. Each one of these shapes is more or less a stage of consciousness. So that's the expansion we're experiencing now. It's gone viral. So anyway, that's just an image. Anybody that wants to go onto my website can check out that. It's basically based around what they call the gossip Polytope, which is an eight eight dimensional uh, structure, polytope, and we we're able to show one of one of my few unique discoveries in this area. We we're able to show that the gossip polytope in in the third dimension is what they call a, the dysdiacus dis, tricongedron. Uh, not that that's going to mean much to astrologers at this stage. So we're working our way through these just to get to a couple more and then we get to the astrology side of it. This one's linking for people who've heard of Nissen Harriman, uh, a nuclear physicist. And of course we've got Dan Winter and his what he calls his pine cone shaped uh, Tauruses. So Nissen Harriman never really talks about one taurus. You've always got two tauruses, one sort of sitting on top of the other, which is the chair. One, one taurus on top of another taurus, they interact. Dan Winter has a slightly different view of that. This little green shape here is, is one of his tauruses. You've got another one coming up this way. And they meet in the middle. And it's when they meet in the middle. This is where all the action is. Dan Winter's... And his friends have built a, a device, a healing device called theraphine T H E R A P H uh, I. There's a new one, Quantify, where you can separate this one, and of course you could flip that up, and you've got one down the bottom, and they come to the, the they they meet at the middle here. This is a, a, a pine cone shaped torus, so like a like a donut shape, like an apple, but even more extreme. Uh, Shape there, so one there, one there. You can separate those two, pull them apart, and in the healing device of which which they'll soon call the new uh, meds you know whatever they call them, the new med tech. This is the terrifying what comes out of that. You can pull these two toruses apart, and in the healing device that he's using, they're about two and a half meters apart. And this is where if you put a light bulb in the middle. It lights up like Tesla. You just hold light right there. So that distance between those two can be any distance. That's the thing. They can be any distance. So this is where in the TV show or the movie Stargate, when they're dialing up the keys on the nodes of the, the Decagon Stargate, they have to have the destination code or frequencies at the other end to get there. And then once you've done that, then you can make the trip. And this is exactly what this dynamic is here in this sense. If we were to make a cross-section or the equator across right there where they meet, that equator on a flat surface is a decagon, a 10-pointed star or a 10-sided figure. This is where my new astrology begins with this flat surface decagon which is the equator of the golden ratio polyhedras and the 4D golden ratio polyhedras. So the equator there, which is right in between the meeting point of these two toroidal shapes. In this case, they're shaped like a a pine cone. Uh, So you can pull those apart to any distance and you'll still have that link between the two called a longitudinal wave, or a scalar wave, that longitudinal wave, you know, can span any distance. This is the stargate at each end sort of thing. So we use this understanding of this dynamic and the decagon, which sits at the equator there, for our astrology, and that's where we really begin to draw up the charts. The decagon is the only flat surface, two-dimensional polygon, which, well, which has the golden ratio, the radius from the center to the tip to the edge, and the edge length is based on a golden ratio. It's the only flat surface, so it's the perfect flat surface geometry to build the golden ratio structures. This is just some... Images, I've actually made all these uh, all these ones, them their photographs uh, of these shapes. So again, we've got the, the center here and then we've got one there. We can fit 12 around inside there and then we've got a bigger version where you get 12 of these bigger ones and pack them. It just goes on forever. So these are actual structures I've made over the years. This one here, same sort of thing. So when I'm talking about these structures, I'm not Theorising about what they might be by looking at a flat surface screen on the computer about what's going on. I've built the structures. I've packed them inside each other. I've you know done all various things in that in that respect. So I'm guessing now that's about the end of it. Oh, we've got one more here. So before we were talking about the five elements in the five platonic solids, where the fifth element is the dodecahedron, which the ancients called an etheric atom or a plasma atom. The fifth element or the fifth dimension or the fifth density is a better word. The fifth is, you know, that's more or less where an individual is a, if you've come across Babaji or someone like that who doesn't need to have a physical body, who, who can remain a non physical body. Or an entity, a non-physical entity amongst a group of non-physical entities, and operate from that realm as a group of non-physical entities. Call them um, masters, or whatever you know, whatever you want to call them. So, in the realm of the geometries of the Platonic solids, one, two, three, four, five, there is in fact a sixth and a seventh. In the realm of expansion of geometries, and they all nest inside each other. So outside the dodecahedron containing the dodecahedron, the fifth element, the fifth density, outside and containing that is the shape we have used often here, and that's this, this diamond shape here. It's called a rhombic tricontahedron, And then outside that, we can build what's called a dystiochus tricontahedron. These are realms six and seven, and in the ancient teachings, whether that's theosophy, Helena Blavatsky and, and, and Steiner, and so, whether that's them or whether that's the Ra group and the Law of One from the Six density collective who are on who used to be on Venus, or whether that's the Kabbalah and the Tree of Life, all three of those. And, and, and some of the others as well, just I'm not so 100% behind some of the others, but all those ones suggest that what we call our oversoul, which has many souls out experiencing, our oversoul inhabits the sixth density. Well, in the geometries of creating these polyhedras, you have the smallest in the middle, the tetrahedron, cube, octahedron, icosahedron, dodecahedron. Then you have this at the sixth level, which is called a tricondahedron. And it just so happens it is the perfect shape. You've got 12 in there, which are inside this one. Then you've got 12 of this size, which pack around this yellow one. Of course, that can become a bigger unit. So it's a, a, a perfect shape of what they call the higher self. Again, that's just another area of interest uh, in the research I'm doing. So I'll just leave that one. It's just a, a photograph, more or less. And I think we're on with the astrology. Yeah, here we are. So uh, it has been an, an honor of mine to make a, a journey, in a sense. I'll call it a mental journey, an abstract remote kind of mental journey, many astronomers have done this as well in their own way, of uh, trying to plot where you'd expect to find stargates in the sense that the formative ether is drawn to a a point or a a vortex, a torus, and in the universe when we look out there, we see the sun, we see a group of suns, we see the galaxy and there's clusters of galaxies and so on but they are forming actual geometries. Or a better way of saying that is that when we're looking for what would be considered to be a vortex or a stargate, we just need to go to the center of each of these larger scenarios, galaxy cluster, galaxy superclusters, and so on. And I'll show you that uh, with one of these uh, images as we go here. So this is my introduction to the astrology side of it. This is happening today. In astrology, if we were to draw astrology chart up, the sun at the moment in in astrology is between 2 and 3 degrees of tropical um, Scorpio. That means the earth is at about 2 to 3 degrees of Taurus. So if we're standing at the earth and if we look through the sun today, Then in the background, it's a little bit south in latitude, but in the background we astronomers, through the telescope, will look at what they call the Shapely Supercluster. Shapely 8, they call it. It's the largest cluster of galaxies in the known universe. And so this has been an ongoing area of research for myself. Uh, and I use it in astrology sometimes, but it's interesting that today, while we're talking about this subject to a to, to a global audience, the sun itself, the alignment to the center of the universe uh, is happening today while we're going through this, which by the way <laughs> i've got CIA there for a very good reason over here, and just brings a little bit larger. Over here, we have a bunch of phrases, alphanumerics. Pretty simple system, nothing complex. A equals 1, Z equals 26. Couldn't be easier. So when I work out each one of these phrases, number two, the core of the Shapely supercluster is the same number, 391, as the heart of the central spiritual sun. The centre of the shapely concentration, the universe central headquarters. So uh, then we have other other um, you know uh, phrases as well, there. but they all equal in the simple alphanumerics uh, three hundred ninety one. Well, the heart of the central spiritual sun. The core of the Shapely supercluster equals a 3, a 9, and a 1, which is a C, an I, and an A, the Central Intelligence Agency, the real Central Intelligence Agency. Even when I'm just randomly working out these phrases, sometimes these come as insights, uh, intuitions, and so on. Sometimes I might just work it out to see what it is. Here's one. I work for the Central Intelligence Agency. That equaled 391 CIA, the heart of the central spiritual sun, et cetera, et cetera. And as far as I know, I'm the, I'm the only person unique to our work that have identified this in this way of fractal physics and the stargates that link to the uh, Shapely supercluster. But that's more astronomy, but it does have a little bit of a an, an input into the astrology side of it. This was the chart for yesterday or today, just to show uh, when I put out my posts. uh, Here's the sun, Middle earth here, and we're looking out there through today, and there it is, the Shapely supercluster. When we put the decagon, the cross-section of the focus coming together of an entity, when we put the decagon starting at the Center of the shapely supercluster, we see here that these yellow lines actually go out along the actual astronomic photograph of what they're looking at there. And I found this over and over again. When we have a a large astro environment or a cluster of galaxies, superclusters, and so on, when we look at the center, we drop the Decagon on there, we can see that the other galaxies are forming in this kind of way based on what we'd expect to see. And we're getting to astrology. So here we are. So we've just been talking about the Decagon and this is a map here, of course, as the people may be familiar with this one. This is a cross-section looking along a DNA helix or looking down the plain view of a DNA helix. This is the way the the phosphate sugars and and so on that make up the DNA helix. Uh, Here they are. It is, in fact, a decagon, 10 points. That's the actual photograph looking down a DNA helix. You have famous sayings like the halls of a mente. So the hall is the DNA helix. But the helix could be our DNA, or it could be the DNA helix of a larger entity like a galaxy or so on. So we have fractal, different scale, different sized DNA helixes. In the electric universe, they call them Birkeland currents, which link up galaxies like linking up chakras with the, the Kundalini, you know, that's going up our spine. So we have the hall, the DNA, um helix the halls of a mente. well a mente, a-m-e-n-t-i is a anagram for i am 10. so it's a, we're back to the decagon over here we have some great research by a woman lynn clear dennis had a had a near-death experience uh many decades ago and she's been working for decades basically you know behind the scenes she has a, a couple of amazing books out there and a group of people helping her. This is a, a snapshot of somatics. Somatics is a moving surface. When a frequency is applied to that moving surface, it creates different geometries, different shapes. So we can't deny somatics. Uh, it's just the evidence is there. We're looking at it in real time. So what her and her friends did is that they hooked up a person's heart beat. To this moving surface and as the person's heart is beating we're watching the geometries playing on the, on the surface there and when the person's clearly they're thinking their hearts going at a reasonable pulse bump 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 the geometries are based on octagons hexagons and so on no golden ratios in those When that person's heart starts to slow, when the heartbeat starts to slow down, well, so it's slowing slightly. In my mind, that's when the person has stopped thinking. As soon as that heartbeat starts to slow down, the geometry real time on the, on the somatic, uh, uh, somatic graph is it changes to a decagon, the cross section of the plasma, the ether, et cetera, et etc. So in my view that's a, 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 some good evidence there that when we tune in, when we stop thinking and tune in, we are our heart is radiating away from us the golden ratio wavelengths. the plasma, hydrogen down to the light scale, goes past through the speed of light, more or less becomes instant, goes viral soon after so this is what our heart is doing that's why we see these images around where people when they meditate their heart is radiating so much more and so on and so on the other way it comes to that person so when they're sitting there meditating and so on they have opened up a vortex we see this with the heart math institute a vortex inwards to the heart so it attracts inspiration ideas etc etc fall into that person so this is where we start with our astrology, is that we right, here's the DNA helix, a bunch of these dodecahedrons lined up here. DNA molecule, same thing. Won't go into that part of it. And then we we use then the same decagon here over here, the stargate, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We put the decagon on the chart. But we're also using the heliocentric astrology positions, the real positions of the planets, not the geo astrology, but the real positions of the planets and to uh, to top it off, what we do is that we uh, the gal- galactic center is out in this direction, last few degrees of tropical Sagittarius, so we put one point of our decagon, linked to the galactic center, and then we have uh, these other positions at specific degrees around the, the zodiac here, and these in planets like in this case, here we have the planet Mercury on this node here, crossing this node. Here we have another one, it's a trans-Neptunian planetoid called Orcus. Over here we have another one, Nusius. Here we have the the Earth and the the Moon here. So when the planets get to these nodes of this Decagon, here we've got uh, Mars, another one, Veruna down there. So when the planets get to the points of the Decagon, that's like those people in the movie Stargate, where they're clicking on the, the keys at the points of the Stargate to activate it. And we've got it linked up to the galactic center. So those 10 positions there, it's like two, cat- two f- catches mitts like that. So the solar system, at certain points in time, as the real-time information, two locations can interact in real time over in distance, the communication that's coming from the galactic center can be caught in our solar system by the planets that happen to be in those positions. In astrology, our mind more or less lives on m- Mercury our emotions more or less live on Venus. Our crown chakra lives in Neptune. So we, we know then by which planet is on the nodes, what we can expect as the download or an information transfer, what is coming into our solar system, or at least what is catching what is coming into our solar system. So that's the basis of the astrology there. Number one, we use the galactic center as our frame of reference. Number two, we use the real positions of the planets, the helio, rather than the geo. So the other styles of astrology, whether it's Vedic or even Sidereum, they're still using the geo positions, which are not the true positions of the planets. And we use, of course, the Decagon, the Amenti, the Hall of Records, our etheric DNA, uh, and use other words, it means similar things. So we've got a, a slightly different one here. It's worth noting. Here's the Earth with its ley line grid work on. And uh, you can get this. I think it's still a free download from vortexmaps.com. It loads onto Google Earth. So what we do know is that the Schumann resonance, let's just say it's about 8 hertz. The Schumann resonance, 8 hertz. That's basically the, 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 you know, just around the Earth's size here. So eight Hertz is well known. It has a, it has a wavelength of around about 40,000 kilometers. And here it is. Uh, Earth's circumference is 40,000 kilometers. If you go onto Wikipedia and look up the wavelength for eight Hertz, it's 40,000 odd kilometers. So we also know that when we're in alpha brainwave state down here, here we are, in eight hertz, we're starting to get into that lucid meditative state. We're just sort of brinking on there. So when people are in eight hertz, they're often spontaneously remote viewing or spontaneously interacting with ETs and their spacecraft. Well, in eight hertz, our Basically, our auric field, our auric bubble, has to be 40,000 kilometers in circumference. It's a bubble around us. So basically, our auric field, when we're in 8 hertz alpha brainwave state, is the same size as the earth. So we're really just zooming around different aspects or different points in our own auric field when we are remote viewing while we're sitting meditating. Even better... The 4 hertz, which is down here where it says superconscious, this is you know, beginning to uh, lucid dream and so on, just beginning to do that sort of thing. So 4 hertz has a wavelength of 75,000 kilometers, which means it's out there off the Earth's surface uh, quite a distance. So there's a gap there of this distance. That's what they used to call the astral planes. So when people are lucid dreaming or out of body traveling, this is basically where they are. And of course, we see UFOs flying around here. This is why people in their dream state end up on UFOs because their brainwave state aligns with a certain distance outwards from the earth. So it's kind of an an interesting one there when we think of how we're interacting with, you know, non physical Uh, People in summer. So there's our galactic astrology, which uh, we've been doing since about 1985, but it really, really kicked in about 2007 and then really kicked in again about uh, five years ago. So just an image, Uh, we'll get to this in a moment. So here we have this decagon. So this one, What we're doing here is that, in a way, we've zoomed ahead of the solar system and we're turning around and we look back at it, and we look at it coming towards us. So we've got the sun in the middle here. The sun's coming towards us like an orange. And as we're watching it come towards us, of course, the planets are orbiting at distances out from the sun, and they're all going at their own unique speeds And they're taking a certain amount of time for each of the planets to get around the sun. So John Harris has done some great research. Here's his website. He shows that the speed relationship of each of the planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and so on, the speed, the relationships between the speeds of each ones, the velocities of each one, is based on the golden ratio. One is going a golden ratio faster than the other one, which is going a golden ratio faster than another one, which is, and so on and so on. He shows that the distances out from the sun of each of the planets are spaced in golden ratios, which is what we've got here, these blue lines. We've got the decagon inside a decagon. We're just showing here that the planets, if we we start from the the closest one, then that'll be on on there. That'll be that way there. Mars will be there. So the space and time unified with golden ratio, as well as the length of time it takes, the orbital period it's called, based on the golden ratio. We see this most famously in the relationship to, between the Earth and Venus, where they often draw an image of the Earth going around the Sun five times, Venus goes around eight times during that saving period, and it creates a pentagon. So that this is the case for all of the planets, not just Earth and Venus. And of course, we we just pop the stargate on there, uh, a solar system stargate with a heliocentric perspective of the planets, where they might be. And as we mentioned back here on this one, uh, if the planets are on the nodes of the Decagon, linked to the galactic center, that's the catcher's mitt, catching information or frequencies coming into our solar system. Uh, And in this case, we're we're aiming it, we're aligning it to the galactic center. So basically, this is just another uh, view of the same sort of thing. And again, it's the framework of our astrology. So here we have here, the distance, the orbit, uh, one side of the sun to the other of, of the earth, and we've got Venus here, of course, and we've got Mercury here. So, when they're in this golden ratio, they create this cone that we were talking about early on the uh, what Dan Winter calls a pine cone, like this. And, of course, that is the same as having there's a big torus shape there, then there's a slightly smaller one inside that golden ratio smaller. And there's a golden ratio smaller in there for the Venus of orbit, uh, Venus orbit, and so on and so on. So it's a the solar system is a bunch of toroidal plasma toroidal fields, one inside the other, inside the other, inside the other, based on the golden ratio. This is exactly the same as the hydrogen atom going down through these other plasmas or gases, what Walter, Walter Russell called gases, which is the old, which is the new name for the ether, until we get to the speed of light, and of course then we can go through the speed of light keeping on going in golden ratio leaps, doesn't take long to become instantaneous or more or less instantaneous. Uh, Same thing again, just to show that there, here's the Tesla coil. So in the Tesla coils, a bunch of um, toroidal fields, more or less, looking down the vortex, the throat of the the toroids there. And so the Tesla coil is basically a small version of the solar system. And then we go on, and now we've got uh, a, a whole number of uh, images based on the astrology. Do you wanted to say something, Monica?
0: Please. Yes, I'm here. It is is going to be a little bit long because uh, to let know the the people that how long is going to be another what? half hour, maybe. Okay, perfect. Just yep. to let know everybody, so
1: everybody knows.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so this is just again a summation of a number of the ideas that we've just talked about. Uh, here's the, the certain plasma that science um, sees. It's a sh- some sort of sheet they call it. Again, it's the five spiral going into the the sun in the middle here. So these are just images. Uh, more or less repeating what we've just said, spiraling there with the planets, Pluto, and Neptune, and so on. This one, just interesting in itself, if you wanted to look above your head out into space and you wanted to look exactly at the galactic center, we'd have to be at 30 degrees south, uh, more or less the Tropic of Capricorn, is so, the galactic center is about 30 degrees south as far as where it is on the earth. If you're in Easter Island, you just look directly above your head. It just so happens that the what we were talking about earlier, the central spiritual sun, the, the largest cluster of galaxies, well, that's about 30 degrees south as well. So, that's just interesting that they're both at the same latitude uh, on the earth's surface. We'll leave that one. We've Well, let's discuss that. Here is, again, this is just some new research. uh, Astronomers, radio waves coming from the galactic center. So they've got this, here's the galactic center, I guess, and here's the Earth, and they've got those radio waves. So in my view, that's slowing down, of course, radio waves, but uh, perhaps that's a longitudinal wave, an instantaneous, more or less instantaneous information or frequencies coming from the galactic center and by the time it gets to us uh, it looks like radio waves now i'm not a scientist in that sense so i can't confirm that to 100 percent but this is just something that's popped up online there about a week and a half ago here's the galactic center the blue is the milky way where we look out at night here it is galactic center here Here's sagittarius he's just about to release his arrow he's aiming and when his arrow is released, it's heading to the galactic center. And in astrology, of course, Sagittarius is looking for the truth. And there it is, aimed at the galactic center. Here's another view of the galactic center uh, right here. And it's uh, there's a lot going on in this, in the sense that there's our uh, December 21st there, plus it's the international dateline, midnight, Greenwich, sort of thing. And the Earth's traveling along its path there like that. So we know when the Earth passes the galactic center, does it twice in each year, six months apart. So it's about June the 18th and December the 18th. A couple of days either side, since the galactic center is enormously large, those few days are direct alignments from our sun and Earth to the galactic center. And, of course, that's where we begin our decagon when we put it on the, on the chart. So what I have now is a, is a few examples of uh, charts of soul groups or different p- groups of people and a few individuals as well. The full moon in October, which is four or five days ago, that happened lined up to the Andromeda galaxy. So we've got the circle here, we've got the sun here, the Earth here and the full moon here. If we would draw a straight line out in that direction, we'd get to the Andromeda Galaxy. It just so happened that the famous actress, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, uh, she's born lined up to the Andromeda Galaxy within a a couple of days. So she's within 99.5% lined up to the Galactic, lined up to Andromeda. So she was having her birthday more or less on the full moon. She's the in the new movie Dune, D-U-N-E, she's playing probably the major role of Jessica, the the the, the woman, the priestesses who are you know, the, the Stargate keepers, the Stargate holders. So she's born lining up with Andromeda, showing she's a starseed perhaps from Andromeda Galaxy, or has some connection there. Born on the form Ah, uh, that was her birthday. Here come, along comes the full moon. And within a day or two after, we get the Dune movie released. I think it was yesterday or 22nd, I think it was released, or so they say. So, when we have, um, when we see feedback coming from outside of ourselves, in this case, we've got a movie being released, it's been put off release, and so on, so on, so on until a certain day. We've got a a famous person that's the main character, one of the two main characters in the movie, playing a role, which is Stargate. operators, uh, then we see like some feedback coming to us, to, and I've been able to gather feedback like this, I call it supportive evidence, uh, I've been doing this for decades, collecting evidence in this kind of way. Here we have uh, three of the Beatles, well, plus uh, Julian, is it, or John Lehman's son there. So uh, once again, we've got the galactic centre, which is out in this direction. Yeah, the last few degrees of Sagittarius, will John, George, uh, sorry, Paul, George and John and his son are born on the nodes of the same decagon, the one decagon, which is lining up to the galactic centre. Well, I I see that as a soul group project, changing the collective timeline with a bunch of songs, some poetry and so forth, of these three, guys you know there they are born seemingly random but when we put the decagon lined up to the galactic center uh, paul george and john born on the nodes of that one decagon linked to the galactic center but we found many many examples of this another one over here this is the famous theosophists starting with rudolf steiner krishnamurti alice bailey henry wallace annie besant uh, Nicholas Roach. All of these people are born on nodes of the one decagon when that decagon is lined up to the galactic center, William Yeats. So we have a, a, a soul group called the Theosophists in a general kind of way. They're incarnating along the timeline, picking up the teachings from the earlier ones, and it's you know changing the collective timeline as a soul group miss, mission. And, of course, it's all being inspired by the Galactic Administration, the real Galactic Federation at the Galactic Centre. And on and on the examples go. This one's a bit different. This one is a group of people. I'll just mention then some of their names. We've got Frank Lloyd Wright, the famous architect. We have Mr. Spock. We have Carrie-Anne Moss. Uh, We've got a couple of guys here. I forget their names who are are creators of the Marvel comics. We've got Sinead O'Connor, and we've got Yoko Ono here. They all are born on the nodes of the Decagon when we link one point of that Decagon. So we've left the Galactic Center now, and we've got one point of the Decagon lined up here with the star in Orion called Rigel. So R-I-G-E-L. This is the famous Mary Magdalene, Bloodline Enki and Enlil, and the famous Egyptian Akhenaton, Moses. And then later on, when Mary's bloodline goes up through France and over to the UK, eventually comes to the States. So we have these people here who have similar qualities. The two Marvel comics, you know, creators here Sinead O'Connor, Mr. Spock, Joko Ono. Carrie Moss, who played um, Trinity in the Matrix series, there's something got similar about them, and they're carrying that energy from Regal there because they're born on the astrogenetic nodes of a decagon lined up to Regal. We've done research like this with Sirius and, and some of the other ones as well. This one here, oh, this one here is Helena Balatsky, who is the first person who really introduced the trans-Himalayan adepts to the Western world, brought basically Tibetan Buddhism into the West in the late 1880s. So she was born, well, first off, when she did that, she mentioned that the trans-Himalayan adepts, what they now call the masters and so on, that those adepts and masters were uh, taking their instructions from the star family in from Sirius. Well, Helena Velatsky, her birth date, if we put a decagon starting at her sun there, then on the very next node of the decagon, we find the arrow because Sirius is out in this direction. So she's linked as a member of the Syrian star family, Star C, along with many of these others that were The what they call the trans Himalayan adepts who say that they themselves get their inspiration from the group from Sirius. She wrote a book. The first, I think it was the first book she wrote, was called Isis Unveiled. So there's an asteroid called Isis, which we put in the charts. Sometimes they're not relevant. This asteroid might not be relevant for some people. And it just so happens that Helena Belaski had the Asteroid Isis lined up with the star Sirius, 36 degrees away from her sun. So there's more and more examples of light like this, which in my mind is supportive evidence for this new kind of astrology. Here's the famous Elizabeth Warren, probably the, if not the best, one of the best uh, you know, in US politics. So she was born lined up to the galactic center up here through this. So she's born lined up to the galactic center. She has a number of uh, planets and asteroids. Here she has asteroid Poseidon, the capital of Atlantis, past life in Atlantis. Here she has an asteroid Hyperborea on this node, the positive group coming out of Atlantis. She has uh, a number of other uh, planetoids, trans Neptunian planetoids outside of Neptune, on the nodes here and on the node here. She has her crown chakra here, Neptune, on this node, inspired. So she And she has Saturn here on this node, politics, structures. So she's come in with a mission from the Galactic Administration, you know, to do with politics and so on. And she was born lined up to the Galactic Center. There's just more examples uh, of how that works. I think uh, this one is just a, a summary. Again, this will be just too hard to see um, what's going on here. I'll just mention a couple of things out of this one. So here's our sun in the middle, and here's the earth, which, of course, is going around here. And this is the normal zodiac of 12 signs. Some people call it 13. That's Okay. And then, if we were to look at some of the famous star systems, some of the famous pulses that uh, astronomers have mapped, and, and even some of the external, outside of our galaxy, when we look at some of those, we see there's relationships between them from our solar system's point of view, which means... We just so happen to be in the right space and time at this moment because our solar system is orbiting the galaxy 225 million years for one orbit of the, um, the galactic center. So our sun and solar system is in a unique position so that some of these, I'll give you an example here, the pulses. So there's a pulse there and then we go around uh, 72 degrees, part of a decagon. There's another pulsar there called the famous crab Pulsar. And then uh, there's another one up here as well. These pulses are positioned around our solar system, spaced, separated from each other in golden ratio. this seems uh, interesting. Then when we look outside of our our, uh, galaxy, then we see uh, the relationship between what we were we, we were discussing before, uh, which is the the we oh, We were talking about the Shapely Supercluster. There's a there's another more local cluster of galaxies called Lania It's a it's a uh, Hawaiian name. Well, at the centre of Kea is what they call the Great Attractor. So that's out in that direction. So the Great Attractor is linked by this blue line to what they call the Supergalactic Centre, which is a more local. Uh, cluster of galaxies which our our, our Milky Way is a part of. But from our solar system, the distance between the centre of the local cluster and the centre of here, well that's 72 degrees. Two nodes of a decagon. So it seems like our solar system is uniquely, well I can't say uniquely, but is well positioned to have access to not only local galactic phenomena, the pulses, and gamma rays are the same. Uh, I haven't got the image here, but gamma rays, many of the gamma rays are spaced from each other in golden ratios. So we're interacting with our local galactic space in a framework, which is built on the golden ratio. But when we step out of the galaxy, there's many of those that are also positioned in space relating to our solar system in this format based on the golden ratio and the decagon and so forth. And as Dean Winter and a few others have been able to prove, it's when we get down to the hydrogen and down smaller, it's when we go through the speed of light, which then more or less goes viral and becomes instantaneous very quickly. That is the exact geometry of these locations, these positions uh, and so on in in space. So we have some reasonably good... uh, you know evidence here for what some of these things we're doing and saying. And this might be the second to last image, I think. So this one here is, again, what I've done here is I've just grabbed uh, photos from astronomy. So they're actual photos from astronomers, or if they're not photographs, they're kind of interpretations of of the um, different energies, you know, the different spectrums I use, ultraviolet, so on and so on. So what I did then was I just grabbed the Decagon and I overlay it. So up here, go up here, uh, oh, here we are. So there's a bunch of galaxies here, not far from us. The middle one is M101. We're looking at it in plan view. So we're looking down the, the north pole of this galaxy. So it's sort of perhaps coming this way or going the other way, and here's where the astronomers have noted um, other clusters of galaxies which are more or less birthed from this one. This one's like the mother, birthing these uh, quasars which become galaxies. Well, as soon as we drop the decagon on there, not only do we see these main ones on these lines here, but some of these ones here, which look a bit random, but no, they're not random. They're actually out here. Same thing here when we. Drop the decagon right at the center there of what they call Virgo A, which is the cluster of galaxies where we're involved in our, our Milky Way. Put the decagon in the middle, then again, some of these most well known galaxies are on these, are birthing along. It's like a um, DNA helix, an intergalactic DNA helix coming this way and going the other way. And these other galaxies are birthing along this direction, like the nodes of the DNA helix. We see it sometimes. And of course our solar our galaxies within this so we're looking at it in planned view we see we get a good view of it so on and on it goes and I've just dropped these decagons on top of these what they call the sheets of galaxies or walls of galaxies uh and and things like that so it's a bit hard to see but there's there's lines there which I've drawn over I've just put the decagon there and I've put the decagon on the top and that angle there is exactly one hundred and eight degrees shift and here's another view of it shift the decagon over a little bit further and we see these walls or these clusters of galaxies growing along or expanding along. But once again, it is based on, from my perspective, uh, the same geometry as our heart when we're meditating or entering the oneness. Our DNA helix, looking down the DNA helix, so we're drawing DNA helixes at supergalactic scales. This is what above su- below is. It's what fractality should be. This one, not so important. It's just uh, the new planetoids. There's the famous Venus Earth. Uh, The Earth going around five times and Venus going around, uh, sorry, uh, Earth on the outside going around five times, Venus on the inside, zooming around faster. And each time they get together, they get together at certain distances, it happens to if you map out a five-pointed star. But as we said before, John Harris has done some great research uh, to show that the entire solar system is not is like this, not just uh, the relationship between Earth and Venus, but it has to be done from the helio point of view. It can't be, it, it doesn't work when we're drawing it up from the Earth's point of view. So we don't get this geometry. We don't get this golden ratio geometry. From the Earth's point of view, whether we're looking through a telescope and mapping the the, the um, orbits of the sun, uh, planets, or whether we're doing astrology based on normal geotropical positions, we don't get the golden ratio. We miss we miss the the point, the complete point of two locations can interact in real time over any distance. We don't interact with that anymore. The planets are not in their true positions. So, in in a sense, that's why we made the sh- the leap shifted to astrology and uh, have lined it up and used the Galactic Center as our frame of reference. I have finished.
0: Okay, let me uh, change the view, yeah. and um, there, uh, the view there, wow, <laughs> it was very extensive. And it was very, very, very interesting. Thank you, Graham.
1: Thought I bring it, I've done a few um, Zoom meetings, and I hadn't really got into the depths of it. So I thought, well, maybe some other people have seen those and have heard me say everything about the astrology, but not much about what is where, your, it, where it came from. What is your from.
0: website so like that I can post it? You, oh. you, you didn't send me your, uh, your website so like that people can look for you?
1: Galactic Astrology GalacticAstrologyAcademy.com. Galactic
0: Astrology.com,
1: right. Uh, Galactic Astrology Academy. Academy. Yeah, all one word there, com. Academy. And a lot of this is expanded upon on the website, these different areas, including the starship and the Merkabah light body and, and so on. So I've got more information there and in more images and GIFs and so on. And more examples of of star seed, famous star seeds. The whole page there.
0: Yes, that I have seen for for ages that, that you've been doing uh, from different uh, famous people. Exactly. And honestly, guys, I will recommend you to to look for a, a reading with an astrology chart from from uh, Reham because. Gonna wake up, it's gonna wake up many of your DNA. It actually, or you're gonna have a lot of downloads, even if you have to see this video again, that will help too. Because that's what it did to me, (laughs) so I highly recommend that.
1: It does take time. I mean, I get feedback, the charts become more relevant as the years go on, it seems.
0: Yes, a lot lot of people people were saying that they were. they were getting the same information from their guides but they were very happy that actually uh that that someone else was explaining it too because their guides also were were telling them that uh love manifests she was mentioning that we have several people that they were very very uh, fascinated by it and uh thank you so much graham and thank you everybody it's been it was was a, a, a a little bit longer than usual but you know what It, it was uh,
1: we deserve this
0: <laughs> it was very very interesting
1: and it's an nice opportunity great work you're doing too
0: thank you let me just um, say what we're going to have the next Sunday and the last Sunday is going to be the final episode of the of the Art of the Artist talk podcast and we're going to close with Ramiro Rodriguez he's a writer and he's a publisher and that one is going to be in Spanish and in Soul Talk, the next week, we're going to have uh, Vikash Shidashani. He's a speaker, a spiritual coach, the best-selling author of the book, Rolling in, and Rolling With It, Lessons uh, Learned While I Was Sitting Down. That is at 7 p.m. on the next Monday. And the Heart of the Artist Talk is at 6 p.m. on Sunday, Central Time, both of them. So it was really, really my pleasure to have you.
1: Thanks so much for the opportunity.
0: Thank you for joining me today. I would love to share with you my transformational system, Path to the Heart, that I created just for you. Head over to Monica Ramirez, warrioroflove.com and you will find free resources. In there, you can download a masterclass in how to stop being people pleaser and meditations to get you started.